Exodus 1 is our passage, and let me remind you of where we were last time. I said that this book is recording for us God's promise uh, that He made in Genesis 3 after Adam and Eve sinned against Him. He preached the gospel to them, and He said the serpent, that is the devil, will strike at the heels of the seed of the woman, the Jewish line through which the Messiah will come. But the Messiah, or Jesus, will crush the head of the serpent. And here in Exodus we see, as we do throughout the whole Bible, this battle between the, the devil trying to destroy the line through which the Messiah will come and God's protecting that line for our salvation. And, and here we see in the very first chapter that that Christ who is to come, who came, is going to be a liberator, was a liberator, is still a liberator for every form of bondage. Uh, that He is a whole Christ for the whole person, for the whole of life. We said He is a liberator from political oppression. Those official political systems, those unofficial political systems that tell us that we don't belong. And he's a liberator from economic oppression, those systems that try to uh, discourage and to keep down those who are made in the image of God. And, and uh, let me just say to you how grateful I am when I cast these seeds to you. The Holy Spirit causes them to take root and bear fruit as I talk to you about the problems with payday lending and charging 450% return on these loans that are being made to poor people. Some of you have already sprung into action. Some of you lawyers are taking legislative action. Others of you are working with local banks to create microloan opportunities. Some of you came to me and said, I will make those microloans. Others of you reached out for help with financial literacy and for budgeting. It's a wonderful thing to see the Spirit working among us. He's not only a liberator for, for political oppression and economic oppression, we find he's a liberator also for social oppression and spiritual oppression, and that should, that should cover everything. He is a Christ. He is a redeemer for every conceivable need you have, and he turns us into liberators as well. Let's look with eagerness at verses 1 through 22, a fresh look at what Jesus came to do. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. 
But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, he shall live, she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, because, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they're vigorous, they give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Brothers and sisters, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we pray that by your Spirit you would open our eyes to see beautiful, powerful things in this portion of your Word. The good news of a Christ who is coming, a Christ who has come, a Christ who was born to redeem us from all our sin, the sin of this world. And would you so inspire us in response that we would become liberators and redeemers in response, in, in imitation of Him. We pray it in the strong name of Christ and for His sake, and God's people said together, Amen. It was called Operation Dynamo. Dynamo means power. It didn't exactly unfold the way they had planned it. It was a British operation set into place by Winston Churchill in response to a crisis that was occurring on the northwest, the north-northwest coast of France. Hitler had invaded Poland in 1939, and he was invading surrounding countries as well. He'd come into France. Winston Churchill ordered the British Expeditionary Force and other forces as well to stop him, but he, in his powerful drive, drove those forces, the British forces in particular, all the way to the north-northwest onto the, onto the coast of Dunkirk and then inexplicably called a halt to the advance. Operation Dynamo was going to retrieve those 338,000 men who were stranded there and could have easily been annihilated. The plan was to send the British destroyers over and some other destroyers too. They had plenty of them. It was just a short pass across the English Channel. They would retrieve the soldiers, get them out of harm's way. The problem was it was too shallow. They couldn't get near them. The soldiers stood in chest-deep water and couldn't get to the saving ships. They didn't have enough shuttles to get them across in time. Someone had a brilliant idea. Ministry of Shipping 
decided to requisition all personal craft that ran shallow in the water. They took a shallow draft. And uh, they said, we're taking these, these little ships to be our own. And, and uh, not only did no one oppose that, uh, many, especially the fishermen, volunteered to sail them themselves, sail them into harm's way. 850 ships in all, little shipping, little fishing vessels and, and yachts and personal craft made the pass over from Ramsgate to Dunkirk and shuttled those men into those destroyers and saved their lives. Churchill said later it would have been a grand disaster. It would have changed the course of the war because there on those shores was the root and the branch and the brain, the center of British power could have been annihilated, but the Operation Dynamo became the miracle of Dunkirk, 850 little ships. Now, those owners of those ships could have said something like this, you know, what is the liability? What insurance coverage do we have if we lose our ship? I'm not going to sail over there. It's dangerous there. It's not my fault that they're on the edge like that. They've gotten themselves in that fix. Are you saying it's my responsibility? No one answered that way. The way they answered was this, effectively. The crown has asked us for our little ship. Now, how in the world can my little ship be a part of rescuing 338,000 stranded soldiers? I have no idea, but the crown thinks it's possible. And if the crown thinks it's possible, I yield my little ship. It's service. It's gospel motivation. It's the way the gospel comes to us. It's the way this text comes to us. It is not that the Bible comes to you when it tells you something to do as a believer in Christ. It's not that the Bible delights in just making you feel guilty, just making you feel bad. Come to church, make you feel bad, you feel like you've done your penance for the week, you go home, you've paid your dues. That's not the Bible's strategy. It's not my strategy. It's not the strategy of any gospel-centered sermon. A gospel-centered sermon does this, here is what you are called to do, and the Holy Spirit has made you capable of doing it. And a gospel-centered sermon makes application this way. Here is a need. Here is a need beyond our imagination of how it's going to be fulfilled. But God has said that it is His delight to make His power made known in weakness. So He brings that need to the church. And the church sets to prayer. And the church says, here am I. Here is my little ship. Do with me. Do with it. With my resources. Something. Make them great. Multiply them in your hands. That's the way I want you to hear these messages. It's the way I want you to hear every message. It's the way I want you to hear these messages about liberation from every enemy so that you too might become a liberator, not because you have been doing something wrong, not because you have let something happen, not because you should have been doing more, but because here is an opportunity that the Lord Christ gives to you and He says, now ask of me and I'll enable you to do it. This third form of bondage that, that um, can be found in a fallen world is social bondage. Here's how it comes out in this text. Pharaoh decided that a group of people should not live 
because of their ethnicity. He decided that they were not human beings worthy of life because they had the wrong lineage. And so he decided that he would decrease their birth rate while keeping them as a cheap form of labor. And so he decided this devilish strategy, this deadly oppression of of taking the child, a, a male child, and he gave the instructions to Shifran Pua to kill every male child, let the women live, let the, child, the female children live. Now, it's not quite clear from the text how the midwives protected these children. It could have been literally, as they said, that God caused the, the wives, to, the, the mothers, to give birth so rapidly that the midwives literally couldn't get there in time. It is also possible that they lied in order to protect a greater good. That they lied to one who had abrogated his authority, did not deserve to hear the truth, in the same way that Corrie ten Boom or the, those in Chambonnet in France lied to protect Jewish life. Could be that way. You hear a note of humor if that is the case. We just don't know. We're just running so far behind. These Hebrew wives or these Hebrew mothers are so quick in their birth, we literally can't run there in time to catch them and to kill them. Regardless of exactly what happened, the the Lord protected these children. And the Lord honored these two women because they feared God. Now, I said earlier that we should understand that is that they loved God. That's the, way the, that's the way the word should be read in, earlier, in other places. The only way it can be read, for instance, when Abraham feared God and believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead, or when the psalmist says, you are one who forgives sins, therefore you are feared. John Calvin says that word can't be understand, understood in those contexts as servile fear, this terror that God's going to get me. It can only mean the dread of displeasing one you love so much. It's because they loved God that they said, what's the worst that could happen to us? Pharaoh could kill us and we would be with our loving Heavenly Father. They loved Him. And that love drove them to heroism. And that love driving them to heroism caused them to respond with their tiny resources, their resourcefulness, and cause others in the Jewish community to respond with their resourcefulness in such a way that God took their little ships and multiplied their their effectiveness. He created a sovereign strategy out of the Pharaoh's demonic command. You know, later he says, since this thing is not working with the midwives obeying me, then I'm just going to command everyone who has a male child to throw him into the Nile River, to sacrifice him to the God of the Nile. And so Moses' mother perhaps reasoned this way, I'll obey his command. I'll throw my child into the Nile. But he didn't specify that I couldn't put him in a little boat. So she put him into a a little boat, and she put him into the Nile, into a tributary that just happened to eddy into Pharaoh's court, where his childless daughter would discover him and take him into her home to be raised as 
her child and to be the great liberator who would bring down Pharaoh's despotic, demonic command from the inside out. God literally made that a little ship, a little ship to bring miraculous delivery. Now, what is it that you bring to these great needs that we have in our culture? Now, think for a moment very seriously about the the systemic evils that we have in some of our societal corners, a disregard for life. It began however many years ago when we decided that the unborn were not human beings and they could be exterminated. And now we're so brazen, some of our leaders are, that they don't call that little one a fetus or a non-human. They acknowledge that it's a human But authorities can determine whether it has the right to live or not. Is it any surprise that we have now killed upwards of 53 million babies? Is it any surprise that there is a systemic disregard for life in our culture, not just for unborn life and newly born life, but elderly life as well? Is it any surprise that there is a lack of concern for young life and and, uh, there's There's a homicide rate that is staggering. It's especially afflicting the African-American population within itself so that my friend, Dr. Bill Adkins, the greater Imani Church, reminds his people regularly that the combination of abortion and homicide rate has created a negative growth rate among that population. Is it any surprise as Jose Velasquez has told us that our Mexican neighbors uh, to the southern part of our city are dying, being killed for their cash. Is it any surprise that human beings, mothers and, and babies, young people, foster care children turned out of the foster care system are being trafficked around the world? Is it any surprise that when we have allowed someone to conclude that someone else is not worth living because they, as people more powerful, have decided it should be so, that we have a systemic disregard for life. It can be overwhelming. I don't give you those statistics, that data, that information, just to make you feel bad. There's nothing redemptive in just making us feel bad. I give you that information as the crown gave that information about a need on the shore of Dunkirk to 850 little ships, there is confidence that God takes delight in making small people powerful in order to astound the world. Your prayers can accomplish much. The ministries that we are involved in here can accomplish much. We reach out to those in foster care through Memphis Family Connection Center. We reach out through the Palmer Home. We reach out through adoption through Bethany Christian Services. We reach out to those being trafficked uh, through Citizens for Community Values and Restore Corps. We reach out to unwed mothers through Life Choices and Agape. I want to say very quickly, I want to say very urgently, Those of you who have had an abortion, I want you to know that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from every sin. 
I want you to hear from the lips of your pastor. I have walked through this course with many women. And many women have found healing in Bible studies and and counseling sessions with other women in our congregation who have also made that choice in the past. Some of my friends have set up a a memorial to to, uh, the unborn in Chattanooga, and many women in my congregations have gone there and found great healing. I want you to know you have not sinned beyond the pale of redemption, as much pain as that might bring to you. And if you should bring that to us, you'll never be You'll never be scorned or thought ill of. We eagerly desire to walk with you through that loss and toward healing. And if you find yourself with a pregnancy that you were not expecting and one that you don't want and you are desperate and you think it'll be so easy just to, just to move on by means of a pill or by getting a procedure, I want you to know it'd be a dreadful mistake. Don't think that you're alone And don't think that you're going to be shamed or put to shame. We are your family and we are here to help you with that child, help you raise that child or help you find another loving family for that child. There's no reason to despair. I want to say that very, very clearly before I say anything else in that regard. I also want you to know that as dreadful, as, as overwhelming as those statistics are, those needs are, we and the church of Jesus Christ, because of the power of the Holy Spirit, have resources sufficient to turn that tide, as the church has done through the millennia. Let me just give you one encouraging example. Margaret Sanger, of course, is one of the first to set out this agenda for abortion as a way to call the population of weaker people. But it was also fostered by other people, later by people like Elizabeth Fox Genovese, the the founder of the Women's Studies program at Emory University, 1986. Elizabeth Fox Genovese argued in her classes, and she wrote and she spoke, saying that that, uh, legalized abortion should be, uh, abortion should be legalized in the land in order to give professional women the opportunity to succeed. Somebody must have prayed for Dr. Genovese. Somebody must have prayed for Professor Fox Genovese. This is a dreadful teaching that someone has the right over another life just because her career is more important and she's more powerful to eliminate that pregnancy. Because one day, Dr. Elizabeth Fox Genovese at Emory woke up and realized, you know, my worldview, that which I'm teaching, could ultimately result in violence against me. Somebody someday could say, you are too old, you are too weak, you are a woman, you don't deserve to live. And if they have more power, they can eliminate me. And if people assemble enough power, they can create genocide. And literally, she cried out to Jesus. She said she had grown up in a non-believing Christian home. I'm not sure how those go together. A non-believing Christian home. That is, she was vaguely aware that there were Christian values that are broadly admirable, but she didn't believe, her family didn't believe in God. 
But she cried out to Jesus because she said, unless there is a standard for life and dignity and humanity, then the human race is done for and it will, you will only be able to survive if you're powerful, more powerful than the others. And so she then gave her life, she said, one of her students said, she gave her life to Jesus as Lord and Savior and she trumpeted the dignity of human life ever since. There is an example of the power of God in a little person. Maybe it was a student in her classroom. Maybe it was a student who wrote about her life later who said, Oh God, if you could save this woman who is teaching this dreadful worldview, you could get a name for yourself. And he answered, Jesus is the liberator of social oppression and makes us liberators of the same. And then the final source of oppression is the, is the ultimate source behind all oppression, and it is the devil himself and evil powers. I want you to turn over just two books, Exodus, Leviticus, and then Numbers. And I want you to turn to Numbers chapter 33. I want you to see this amazing insight that comes later in Moses' life as he reflects on their exodus out of, <clears throat> out of Egypt. He recalls in Numbers chapter 33, verse 1, these are the stages of the people of Israel when they went out of the land of Egypt by their companies under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. And then in verse 4, they went out triumphantly in the sight of all the Egyptians, while the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn. Now, that'll come later in our study in chapter 12, the death, of the, the, the death angel that swept through as the 10th plague and took the lives of every firstborn child not covered by the lamb's blood. While the Egyptians were burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them, on their gods also the Lord executed judgment. You see it? On their gods also the Lord executed judgments. There was the real reason that Pharaoh was trying to kill those male children. There is the real reason Pharaoh was oppressing the Israelites. Because he was fulfilling the wishes of the serpent who was striking at the heel of the seed of the woman trying to eliminate the Messiah who was to come. Pharaoh, who was unnamed... Maybe he's the Ramses standing in the middle of the University of Memphis campus. Maybe he's not. But that Pharaoh, nevertheless, had a, had a crown that had a serpent on the front of it. It was to acknowledge the power of his God. And God literally turned him on his head. God used this strategy of defeating not only his rule, but the demonic power behind his rule to crush the head of that serpent. God delivered them. God delivered the people of Israel by defeating the demonic powers behind these evil forces. And this is the way he's using us too. He has given us weapons more powerful than the enemy. He's given us the gospel. He's given us prayer. He's given us Christian service. He's given us evangelism. And as we go forth with those little ships, he is crushing the head of the evil one. We wrestle not against flesh, but against evil powers, rulers and authorities and, and cosmic forces. 
against the elementary principles of this world. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. You give yourself to him. You yield your little ships to him. Your resources, your bread and your fishes, you bring them to Jesus. And he multiplies them and makes them powerful to turn back the forces of evil. You may be discouraged this morning. You may be discouraged because you say, I have sinned. I have sinned so greatly in my past, there is no way that God could use me. I'm too old. I'm too young. I'm too restricted in my movement. I have special needs. There's no way that God can use me. That is falsehood. Jesus delights. The weaker, the better for him to get a name for himself, but I want you to know that even your pastor at times feels that way. I happened on an excerpt from my journal from a number of years ago, 14 or 15 years ago. I happened on an entry to my journal that was encouraging to me. I hope it's encouraging to you. It was a period of discouragement in my life. It happened shortly after my transition from St. Louis to Augusta. And, you know, transitions are tiring. Transitions can be exhausting. They can be discouraging. It's not because the people are bad. It's not because anything's wrong with you. It's just the way transitions are. And I'd become discouraged in that transition. I'd, and then sometimes you don't know what bad shape you're in until the adrenaline falls off. You get away from it a little while. So I, I had gone back to St. Louis to, to fulfill a ministry obligation I'd made before the call. And I was on my way back, and I was getting onto my connecting flight from Charlotte. And I slumped down in my seat on the plane in Charlotte, and, and I, was, I was very tired, very discouraged. And I was beginning to believe the lies of the evil one. You know how he comes at you when you're weak. He was telling me that uh, you're fragile, George. You're unstable, you're a hypocrite. You're in way over your head. You're going to go financially bankrupt. You're going to wreck your family. Now, strange things sometimes happen to me on an airplane. And here was one such case. I had an empty seat next to me, and a man came from the back of the plane toward the front, and he sat down, and I vaguely recognized him. He said he'd been to my church many years before in St. Louis, and he said, you know, I woke up this morning having my devotions, and the Lord gave me a word from Scripture and told me I was supposed to give it to somebody else, and when you walked on the plane, I realized it was you. Now, Presbyterians don't typically talk that way. <laughs> so he had my attention, and I said, I'm eager to hear it, whatever it is. And he said this, the word comes, George, from the account of Moses standing at the burning bush hearing the call from the Lord. Moses wasn't looking for that call. He was just walking along, tending his sheep. Neither were you looking for a call. You're just tending your sheep in St. Louis. Moses got his call while he was walking along. And God assured him of everything he would need to fulfill his calling. He said, I will be with you. In the same way, you must remember that you're not where you are by your ambition. God called you there while you were walking along. And God has given you everything you need to accomplish the call he has extended to you. His presence. Now, you're just walking along. 
And by God's grace, you have walked into this sanctuary today. Or by God's grace, you've walked by a radio. Or by God's grace, you've walked by a television. Or by God's grace, you've walked by a broadcast on the internet. And while you were walking along, God said, the gospel I've brought to you will not only liberate you from your political and social and economic and spiritual oppression. The gospel with which I will liberate you is so great that I will take you as however limited you are and whatever resources, whatever few resources you think you have, I will use them to participate in my great miracle of redemption. If that is not your faith, if you've never given your faith, your life to Jesus Christ, this is the day not only to find personal salvation, but to find yourself in a cause that is infinitely larger than you are, cosmically great, and guaranteed to be successful. Come to Him today, one and all. Come, come, come to Him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the gospel of God, which is the power unto salvation for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And we say to you, Lord, we are not ashamed of it. We yield ourselves afresh to make us emissaries of that same good news. In Jesus' name we pray it. And God's people said together, amen.
Now stretch forth your hands for God's blessing. May God receive all the glory in the church and through Christ Jesus before all ages now and forevermore as he fulfills his promise to be with you even to the end of the age. Go forth in that power and that peace. Amen.